Hello everyone, this is Parvul Zafir from Physics Podcast Channel. We would like to discuss about uh, an interesting topic, malaria. And uh, we would like to to give an uh, information about the, first of all, about the malaria itself, then the symptoms, the treatment, the new development, uh, which has been done in this field. But before I would like to give you just some statistics based on the uh, 2017 report from WHO World Health Organization, uh, this problem is uh, cost the life of 435,000 people. So 435,000 people lost their life in 2017. And uh, about 219 million are suffering from this problem. It is in 87 countries, but if we compare to, to, to the numbers that it's taking the life of people every year, it's one of the, the real problem in the health sector. So today we're going to discuss this topic with a special guest. This because our guest is someone who came from scientific background, who himself experienced this problem several times. And um, he also treated the people who are suffering. So he is a doctor who is living in Switzerland, Mont- Montreux, Switzerland. And he, before he served in African countries, and he was suffered himself several times, about 13 times. And he's going to share his experience, his scientific background, and the new treatment that he's currently uh, helping people in the affected countries. So I'm so honored and so pleased to have again Dr. Klaus Schusteredo to, to share with us about his experience and about his result. So it's a great privilege and honor for, for me. And thank you so much. I'd like to start my question by, well, I understand that you had 13 times malaria. So can you tell us about that? Yes, I had uh, malaria many times, 13 times the really, really severe malaria crisis with a high fever and a lot of pain and um, you know malaria has very different ways to manifest sometimes it comes within a very short period of time like just 50 minutes 30 minutes and you get a full-blown clinical picture with a high fever let's say 40 degrees and chills and headaches and uh, fatigue and extreme weakness and and back pain and sometimes it, uh, it's growing and evolving over days and it's just starting like um, with uh, some irritability, some back pain and um, fatigue and lack of appetite and suddenly at some point you realize you have got a fever and headaches and then you get really really sick and 
I think I have had quite a, a wide range of ways of manifestation of malaria, which was, uh, when you go through it, not very comfortable. But when I look back, I think it has been a great uh, door opener in my life because first, it's the only disease I really believe I I could connect deeply with, uh, and that's a great experience for me who works in the medical field to have been having been sick really badly with a disease and in an area where so many people suffer from this problem, meaning I can understand and relate better to what people go through when I see the patient. That's a very important point that we in the medical field really understand as deep as possible what the patient really experiences. So it has been great from this point of view to know what those people I see in the hospital or those who come for consultations uh, experience. And um, but there's another side, there are other sides to it. Another side to it is that, you know, the fever, the fe we have a practice, a culture, a medical culture in the West where we usually suppress the fever and we give antipyretics and mm -hmm. the fever goes down and then we believe that we do a lot of good to that, to the patient. And um, it was interesting to see that um, in malaria, after having had three, four times malaria, I saw that the fever is doing something really deep inside me on a psychological level. It kind of stirred up a lot of psychological issues. I wasn't aware and, and the fever kind of brought it from an unconscious level to a conscious level and, uh, and it uh, allowed me to connect deeply with myself and it gave me just a great, great idea about how the body and the mind are so interconnected. And uh, that was an extremely, extremely rich experience because when you have got 40, 41 degrees fever, you, you're really in a different world. You're in a sort of altered state of consciousness and the altered states of consciousness um, very well researched actually in, 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 in through the use of psychedelics and, uh, and I think the fever is such a kind of state uh, um, and I remember that I had an incredible rush of thoughts and felt disconnected from my body and uh, had almost um, I would say for the first time in my life experiences where I was in a space which was beyond the, the, the body, the, the, the emotions and the, the thoughts and you can go into the space which, uh, which is, I didn't know before, so there was something opening up within me. There is no doubt that this triggered, the malaria crisis triggered a process um, deep within me that's continued all, all, all the years later uh, until today and there were certain periods in my life where this process has been more intense and there were certain periods where it was less but I'm very convinced that everything started with uh, having had malaria and the high fever not changing, not touching the fever, not lowering the fever. So the question I came to more and more was well are we doing any good to the people in the West by lowering fever systematically and I think the answer is no in the latest research when you look into the literature, medical literature about how should we deal with fever in patients there is a lot of um, evidence that we should not lower the fever in most cases.
mm-hmm. but there's a kind of paranoia there the, the, the child has a fever the adult has a fever it needs to be lowered immediately and people have integrated that in their the way they function because you go into the pharmacy and you get antipyretics easily but mm-hmm. I think it's um, actually having a, a negative impact on the vitality so malaria was an extremely extremely creative experience uh, uh, which still is very inspiring because the very interesting about interesting about malaria is that we have the understanding that malaria is just a big killer and certainly mm-hmm. I mean it has killed a lot of people but when and children but when you look at who is affected by malaria you see first of all children who have got other diseases like respiratory tract diseases, diarrhea, malnutrition. Mm-hmm. So no doubt that it um, it affects a lot of people who have already a, a health issue. But then you have a lot of people who have malaria maybe once a year, twice a year, like we have the flu and they are in perfect health otherwise. And, um, you know, we, malaria is not such a in terms of diagnosis okay it's triggered by a parasite which gets injected through a mosquito and you know this parasite is more or less present in the system you have those people where you can identify the parasite and they're perfectly well and there are those you don't find the parasite and they have they have signs of malaria mm-hmm. and uh, so it's not always a black and white thing so it's it's actually parasites stimulate the immune system and I think there is from I came to the conclusion that it actually pushes the immune system of most people, and that's what we don't see because we just see the negative side of those who get killed. Mm-hmm. But if we would really treat, let's say, the infectious diseases, malnutrition in the first place, the poverty that is actually the cause of malnutrition, mm-hmm. and um, the infectious diseases and and diarrhea, uh, then the parasite wouldn't get its chance to have such a negative impact. But as I said, there's another side where those who survive, they became very strong uh, and vital people. And that's an interesting observation I made in Central Africa, that the most vital people I've seen actually in Central Africa. And I can say that because I have done surgery with people under conditions, and the way they recovered was just uh, absolutely spectacular, whereas you know, and the conditions like here in the West, where you have sterile conditions, people, despite the good conditions, people discover, recover uh, very differently. So mm-hmm. these are all observations, and I cannot prove that statistically, but when you see it over years, uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Uh-huh. It's a very rich field, okay. malaria. Okay, so uh, thank you so much. Well, uh, as you mentioned, that uh, this malaria is most in in different part of the world is causing lots of lots of lives and every year based on the statistics it's one of the it 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 takes the lives of people almost i i heard it's about 10 million or something like that on yearly basis so apart the first symptoms that you mentioned or the first sign that you mentioned is the fever what are the other symptoms? Maybe they, it might be interesting for our audience mm-hmm. uh, to know that when they are suffering from this problem. If, mm-hmm. So if you could give us mm-hmm. a little bit of information about that. 
I would say we have to distinguish between people from the West who have never had malaria, who, who go into an area where they can get malaria because the mm -hmm. mosquitoes are there and then they can get uh, the parasite through the mosquitoes. So as a white person who has never had malaria and you go to Central African Republic, for instance, there's a very, very good chance that you get it because it's like the area we lived or all over Central African Republic, it's, it's, it's present. And we are not familiar with this kind of microbiological stress, whereas those who grow up, they are familiar with it and they, they, they adapt very differently because from very early on, from their childhood on, they have learned to cope with this parasite. And um, so, but in general, in general, uh, the, the symptoms are um, individually, very different. You have those who, where it starts immediately with a fever, uh, and and a headache, and, and back pain, and joint pains, and and and, and diarrhea, uh, vomiting, mm -hmm. um, stomach aches, uh, and uh, and it can also, can also be very mild, like just a little bit of irritability, fatigue, mm -hmm. and and lack of interest, and. Uh, lack of motivation and um, lack of appetite and uh, um, so you have you have signs and symptoms which which you, you have maybe in the, in a uh, any time when mm -hmm. you're a bit tired or you have been stressed huh? mm -hmm. uh, during the day so it's 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 not that clear but I always say to people when you go into malaria endemic area and you realize you're really low on energy, really tired, uh, and you suddenly feel why well, there is some some pain, back pain, headache. Uh, be aware that could be the beginning of malaria. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly, I mean, that can go on over days, basically, it may disappear. And then there are those where you really see now it's getting more and more intense, and then the um, difficulties to get up, you know, when you don't get up because you're so tired and prefer to lie, to sleep, mm. and you sweat, and then the chills, I mean, the chills can be really, really intense. I mean, I've seen people having chills so intense, like trembling all over the body, and they just pull out one hand out of the, the, um, the cover, they, they're covered mm. with uh, linen. And they, they just, I mean, it's triggering tremendous chills and it's um, really violent. But it's very different. You have those uh, where, I mean, those who end up coming from Africa and end up in int intensive care units uh, and even isolation because, you, of course, everybody's worried when you come with a high fever from the tropical country. Doctors mm. take that very serious. You never know what's behind. It could be something else. And... Central Africa, especially in the Congo, Ebola is still a big, big issue. It's not under control. That was a big issue also in West Africa. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, of course, the doctors have to take that very serious. So it's... Um, but in Africa, I mean, I have had people who have had really... If you know how to deal with it, and you're sure it's malaria, and you know how to deal with it, and you're so familiar with it because you see it every day and you treat people every day, I mean, it's not, not that difficult to, to treat you and you, there is treatment available mm -hmm. and some of these treatments are old and still work very well, like uh, China. Ch China uh, is a, a very old remedy in Central Africa, it's still working, 30 milligrams per kilogram body weight. 
it doesn't have any severe side effects except uh, that it makes an ear ringing, which is very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. There is another one, Artemisin, which also works quite nicely, but it works a bit slower. So this is something people who go there for the first time should have that in the pocket. Where it's interesting, the observation we made that if you treat people with new approaches and uh, they have already immunity, they react very differently. So the reason I got interested in that is because we saw that in new technology, new medication basically, um, the reason I got interested in that is because the, I saw that in Africa, um, they, due to the lack of education, sometimes people are having big problems doing the calculations to have to, to administer the right dosage. So why things have to be simpler with other words. Another reason why we need new approaches to treat malaria is that uh, a, these medication treats come from the West are very, very, very expensive. Mm -hmm. And then there's another problem in Central Africa, it's, it's a highly unstable area, so mm -hmm. you do not have access to medication easily. Sometimes people have to drive 500 kilometers to get a few boxes. Mm -hmm. So things have to be simpler to mm -hmm. make it available for the population. And there we saw that some, some of uh, the technology we used have been very, very effective. Mm -hmm. I will come to that. Well, uh, I have learned that you have been in a, one of these places that people are suffering a lot from the malaria and some other epidemic diseases. So, can you please share with us how many patients you've treated and which methods you, you used and what are the results if you could share with our audience? Well, I was responsible for a hospital where we had 50 beds and uh, we were not always, um, all these beds were not always occupied occupied because the hospital had a very bad reputation being one of the reasons it has a bad rep has had a bad reputation was because there was a lot of prescription over prescribing of medica medication because by selling medication they generated some money to pay salaries to the employees and and the population understood that uh, there is a very strong business pressure um, mm -hmm. here and that was that's bad of course but in this hospital, I was working for two years and I saw patients on a daily basis, very different numbers of patients, might have been 10, might have been 20, 30, very different. Mm -hmm. um, and then there were those who were hospitalized, so there were the outpatients uh, and uh, the uh, hospitalized patients. But that's great when you see when you're close to the patients who are in the hospital, you can go there to twice or three times a day or even more and you see how they improve, you learn a lot, you learn it on, on an almost uh, two, three hour rhythm. That's great because it gives you a good idea on how does the body get reorganized uh, when he's getting healthier. So there were, we were, it was an area where we had one hospital, 50 beds, and the population was about 80,000 people. But we did everything. All the emergency, people coming from 100 kilometers away on a motorbike to do a C-section, for instance, or with coming 100 kilometers away with a knife in the stomach, and then you take care of that as good as we could uh, with very simple technology, sometimes just a razor blade. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, the basic equipment to, uh, to do surgery. 
Okay. Yeah. A so, lot of obstetrics. Yeah. So the approach that you're using is basically the homeopathic approach? Well, homeopathy is particularly interest, interesting there because homeopathy, first, I must say that I've had, had a lot of problems with homeopathy because in the medical training it's something considered as very unscientific, but I remember that I personally had an experience with homeopathy where it helped me um, because I have had, before I went to Africa, already health issues. And at some point, homeopathy got interested in homeopathy and it helped me. And then I thought, when I go to Africa, I take it with me. And I was discovering something else. A friend of mine, I learned through a friend of mine who was developing a kind of new homeopathic medication um, for epidemic disease. And I could actually not believe that this would work. Mm-hmm. But it really helped people. And then I discovered that I researched that as systematic as I could over, but you know it's it's a how should I say it's a very even now almost fifteen years later looking back to the the first people I saw it's just unbelievable you have a bottle of water like a, a drop bottle of ten milliliters and you have no molecule no substance in it just information it's basically an electromagnetic signal and you give one drop to the patient and uh, and you see that becoming better after a few weeks we were starting with hiv aids patients and they were coming back and said yeah we feel better we are hungry and you know then they say you're hungry okay you need money to buy food and you get suspicious that maybe they just want to have some money mm-hmm. and and so there are all sorts of uh, filters um, which kind of held me back not to believe what I saw but over months and years we could see that these people clearly clearly improved and then when you have good lab results like the viral load and CD4 counts and you see that these parameters change mm-hmm. then it's it's I mean it's it's you realize there is something really really special about this kind of homeopathy approach is it we turn I mean homeopathy obviously is information extracted from a substance and uh, what we extract is basically an electromagnetic signal that goes into the body and it's not about the quantity we give like a hundred milligram of a certain substance it's about the signal it's about the quality if you give one drop or five liters probably does not make a big difference Uh, it's really about one drop and the thing that the, the, what is so incredible about it is I mean you have um, 10 milliliters makes 200 drops you have 500 milliliters makes 10,000 drops you have one liter makes 20,000 drops with one liter you could treat uh, 20,000 people theoretically and that's the kind of simplification we need for low-income countries because uh, the approaches from the West, especially in the treatment of epidemic disease, is not cannot be implemented because the conditions are not provided to do it successfully. So things have to be easy, s- simple, cheap, effective, and um, um, <clears throat> yeah, simple, cheap, effective, and uh, and affordable. Mm-hmm. affordable well that's cheap basically but there, there are certain criteria 
I mean, we really have to, when, once you have lived in a, such an environment, you see very quickly what's possible and not. And of course, I mean, the medical system, the medical world from the West is, uh, there's a lot of concepts that work pretty well in the West, but it doesn't mean that it works in, in another country mm -hmm. where the, the environment is so different. So the impact of, if, if you compare the, the current medication that is given in the West mm. and the homeopathic, the impact will be the same or the, the duration of the treatment will be mm. the same? Is there any difference between the current treatment mm. which is available in the West market and the, the approach yeah. that you are talking about? Uh, in, the, in, in the treatment of malaria? Uh, I was very disappointed actually to see that this kind of homeopathic, homeopathic like uh, approach did not work with me. Mm -hmm. And it did not work with other people from the West who had malaria for the first time. So it's very important to treat them with conventional medicine, uh, as I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. And uh, But it was interesting to see that those who had had some immunity, and the Africans who lived there, who grew up, they responded pretty well. And where we clearly see now over, I mean, we've worked with that since 15 years in different countries, is when you do malaria prevention in schools and you give children one drop every day and you can see that the absentee's rate in these schools is really changing. So it's a great approach to prevent malaria, which is even better so that people don't get sick in the first place. But it does not replace 100% uh, conventional treatment and this is a really important point because I think that a lot of people uh, when it's about medicine are very naive and uh, believe that s there are alternatives which might replace conventional pharmacology yes but I mean every situation is different and uh, there is I think in medicine uh, there are a lot of achievements Mm -hmm. uh, that should not be neglected in conventional medicine and modern medicine, but we have to look further, and uh, especially when it's about implementing health programs in developing countries, what is really affordable, possible, what is effective, uh, etc. So we, we have to look further because the, these countries uh, were, who, who are low-income countries one of the reasons why they are still low-income countries is because they're, uh, they are not getting off their knees in terms of, of health. Mm. Mm -hmm. This is one, one reason. Yeah. It's not the only one. There are others. There are a lot of other reasons, like mm -hmm. cultural reasons too. People very often don't like that when I say that. There are cultural issues too. But health is certainly, like in any country, exactly. you have a healthy population. And, uh, and once, I mean, you discover something, it's not my discovery, I just had the privilege working with it. I mean, you say, well, what is my responsibility here? I get in touch with that. I live there. I'm working in a hospital of 80,000 people. I see it's having an impact. And the great thing about this concept or uh, approach uh, with electromagnetic specific information in disease for specific diseases like hepatitis, malaria, HIV, AIDS, and sickle cell anemia, post-traumatic stress, is that it's so cheap, it's so effective, so it's affordable, it's effective, it's it's simple. But they still they need to take the conventional medication? No. Along with... No, no, we have seen that if especially the Africans uh, respond very well, mm -hmm. in 9 out of 10 cases, 
they do not need any other medication. You have complex cases and simple cases. Mm-hmm. 80-90% of the cases are simple, so they, they can be treated easily. And then you have 15-20% of the cases which are complex, and then, you know, then it's always good to have a, a second line exactly. treatment, and, yeah. and it's, it's, you have to look into the situation more. But the point I'm trying to make is if something is really cheap and effective and safe and simple, Mm-hmm. I mean, you can build a business model for hospitals where they provide you provide this approach, and the hospital can generate money to pay salaries at the end of the month, and there is no pressure that you have you might intoxicate the patient, you cannot do any harm, and um, and it's very cheap, so there is a big profit margin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, and then the whole problem with transportation is 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 a different one because you can have within a very can have a stock of medication which is basically for 50 years theoretically you can do that so that's a really new paradigm and from an ethical point of view from a humanitarian moral point of view I mean I was it kept me really busy over many years and I, I regret today that I did not have more courage to investigate that because it's so promising it's so effective so so huge that at some point in 2015 I, I got I woke up in, at night and, and I had kind of a panic attack I realized I have to do more that was all already years later when I left I left Central African Republic 2007 and I said to myself if I have to do more and I went back to Central I tried to go back to Central African Republic and, um, in 2015 when there was still a civil war and I remember <laughs> I tried to go there that was in December and I couldn't go and then I was in Paris in a, in a place uh, in, in a shop and I was uh, listening to the news and I, I heard actually the, 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 the week I, I was the weekend the day I was supposed to go there were uh, a lot of fights in the capital then I went there six months later I went there six months later, we were still fighting, mm-hmm. but it was never really dangerous. I always felt safe. And that's, I think that's another great thing about malaria, that I mean, it really pushed me to my limits when you had the fever. I was mm-hmm. talking about how it affected me. And you, li- you live in the bush 500 kilometers away from any, any facilities, and it really pushed me. And that has a, had a big impact that I can make more effort. Mm-hmm. And finally, I, I could do that. I went there again and started to to build something. Okay, so somehow the malaria itself it helps you to to push back the resistance. Absolutely. In terms of the research and. Yeah. yeah. But what about the duration of treatment? Is it something that the people, the patients, should take continuously on a continuous basis, or is a specific period of time for that? The, the prevention the prevention is uh, is done regularly mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that's like one drop a day and um, we still don't know to how how we can optimize that maybe enough to do this once a week there are new approaches now which are not based on water anymore which are also very very effective uh, and uh, that, that's another issue, but it's basically about information too. In 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 an acute situation, 
um, an acute situation always to individualize and see how people get out of the acute situation. Acute means all the focus is on one thing, everything else, there's just one priority and you focus on that and everything else you just push beside. And, and when people are better, then you can, yeah, you adapt uh, the approach and uh, they don't, they stop usually, they stop. Mm-hmm. They can, they can. But in an acute situation, you give it every hour, for instance. Okay. If it's a person who grew up in a malaria area, I've seen patients coming out of the fever. And the fever is interesting. The fever is not is not the main criteria. You have people who have a high fever, are absolutely miserable, and you have others who have a high fever and are pretty good, actually. So it's not just about the fever, even if it's the objective parameter. Mm-hmm. But you have to look at how people feel. And there are people who can get up uh, uh, even with 40 degrees and walk around, and there are others who are so... Mm-hmm. Sick, they, they can't get so, so you mentioned that there are the ways to prevent this uh, epidemic disease, uh, but if we ask you precisely that, because we would like to create a kind of awareness and a kind of doing something for the global south, especially for the African countries, because these people are suffering a lot from the uh, from the malaria, malaria and especially the, the the children and the so are you willing to go for example to do certain certain projects there and to 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 help the the people and what are the conditions because i know that those who are listening to or watching our program they might be interested to 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 go further and to know better how they could reach you or Hmm. what are the objectives Hmm. what 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 you have in terms of the project Mm -hmm. The project with developing countries is just possible if you have a reliable partner in the country and the most important partner I think is the Ministry of Health mm-hmm. and if, if I go somewhere I need a license to practice which is the case for Central African Republic or other African countries. But that's the first uh, barrier so that you need, you need the, the paperwork done to go there mm-hmm. to treat people. You cannot just go there and do what you want. Some people do that, and I do not recommend that you have to respect the legal framework. And then you have there, and uh, even if you get all the paperwork done with the Ministry of, of Health, and uh, they might support you formally, I mean, you still need people there who really, really, um, you can communicate with regularly so that uh, you instruct them and, and they stay there and they're motivated to, 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 to treat people, then you can, that's a great approach to produce results. So you, ideally, you have got a person, African person, with a, who has lived in the West, who have, has a Western life experience, or a, a white person uh, going to Africa and who has lived there for a few years, who knows the culture, it's very much intercultural. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you need really some project management skills to, and medical skills to, uh, to, to treat people. And, but, but then, I mean, best is you have a, a clinic where you have good patients every day coming mm-hmm. to produce results. And then things are growing very fast because it's an effective approach and you're going to see you have more and more people and you charge them a little bit for consultations, maybe a little tiny bit for the medication, so in a way that's always affordable for people. Mm-hmm. And then those who have some entrepreneurial thinking, they realize immediately this is something that can grow, and that's, it's a set of 
qualifications, which is not just medical, it's intercultural, it's language, you need to speak the language, and then it's also about mm-hmm. project management, entrepreneurial thinking, and diplomacy, diplomacy, diplomacy too. You have to be diplomatic, to not be stubborn and think that's the way it has to be done. That's, mm-hmm. that's not what I recommend. I have had situations where I think... Well, I have been invited for the weekly meetings uh, with the um, political head of our um, prefecture, sous-prefecture, which mm. is the sous-prefecture. So the, all the, uh, the officials would come and I would be there mm. and, and have been invited. And, and, and afterwards I would join them for a drink. Mm-hmm. So I knew them, and uh, and there were the customs, there were the police, the gendarmerie, etc. And that's very important to know people there, because mm-hmm. they also protect you when you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And you you better do not go into conflict and be stubborn. And I mean, you can have your values and you have to stick to your values, but stay open-minded and listen to these people. And and I think that's a big big challenge for for people coming from the West. For a lot of people, I've seen people coming into our area in Africa where we live and they are there for three days and then they come with the solution and they, they, they behave like we have the solution I think that's pretty ridiculous it's after three days you haven't understood anything mm-hmm. yeah, okay. you haven't understood anything and that's there's, um, there's you need a lot of openness a lot of mm-hmm. um, you need to have the ability to listen to people and, and of course the language is a barrier if you don't in Central African Republic if you don't speak the language uh, you don't go very far so so basically if if we understand correctly you're willing to go in in, in suffering countries to help them but it should be in a legal basis through the formalities through the authority uh, formalities in the in the country in the mm-hmm. requesting countries mm-hmm. and uh, it might be the last question for the, from the malaria uh, sector so, the, because you experienced the malaria and also you lived in the, in a country like, in, in the global south, countries like Africa. So what makes you to, to, to reach to this kind of approach while you're trying to changing the conventional approach? If, is, is there any reason behind? It was mm. your own experience that you suffer and you thought it might be better to change to another approach or it, it was just a kind of message that you got from the locals in the, in the ground. Well, I saw the, the ineffectiveness of the conventional system and how complicated it is to implement and all the, this, the, the different problems it brings, like you can intoxicate people with it if you don't have proper training because you don't know how to do calculation to the proper dosage. So you question things and, and, uh, and if you have the opportunity to work with uh, an innovative idea and you see it's working well, mm-hmm. then I mean that, and it's promising, then it's becoming, first of all, for me at least, it became an ethical issue, how can I not investigate that? So I said to myself, I'm 40-45 years old, okay, at this point I was about 42 actually, when I, when I really realized that I, I want to do some more, but when I went there for the first time I was 32, and you know, that's, that's pretty slow actually, it's not, but you know, we, and then I said to myself, well, 
there is a way to help millions of people with a new paradigm, a new concept. But it was curiosity at the same time. It was not just about the ethics. It was curiosity at the same time because I learned so much in Africa. I learned so much about healing and the human potential. And it really impacted a lot the way I work today, how I see people, how I evaluate people who are suffering. And... Uh, and it triggered also a lot of personal growth because you know it's a challenging thing you have people every day you see really really in bad shape or dying and that's that's a challenge that's a big challenge exactly yeah so i and when you have this challenge you are accepted or and it opens up your heart and you grow with it or you become, it closes you and you become sarcastic and you walk away. I've mm. seen people becoming racist and very sarcastic after a few years with having worked in Africa, but it can also do exactly the opposite. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, um, in terms of, uh, in terms of the, we heard that you also in the process of writing a book. Uh, yeah. So we would like to know more about what you're going to write and what this book is about is about your experience or it's in the medical field yeah the book is something i it's a long term project and it's very slow but we we have made some progress and i had a friend of mine who helped me so that uh, because uh, he speaks his, his native language is english and but the book was basically or is basically about um sharing uh, my experience while I was living there and uh, to give people an idea what it looked like and it uh, you know there's there are a lot of stories um, we're telling in the book and uh, actually you know now after years when I look back and read these stories it seems very unreal for me actually <laughs> because it's so it's so incredible but again it's uh, has been such. It's, it's. I mean, I feel so privileged. I could go there when I was still pretty young, thirty-two years old, and and um, I learned a lot about medicine. Mm -hmm. And it's. I think there's nothing better for young uh, health professionals than to go to Africa soon in their career, early in their career. Because, you know, when I was, I was in the middle of my training of becoming a specialist in internal medicine. And, and when I told that to my colleagues who were 10, 15, 20 years older, they said, that's not, they can't do that. That's not the right thing. You know, you're not experienced enough, but actually never experienced enough for something like that. Because you have to deal with so many different issues, not just medical. It's the climate, it's the culture, it's the language, it's the mm -hmm. food. And then you go there maybe with your partner, family, or get a family, create a family there. There are always challenges, I mean, and, and, and your knowledge in medicine is, 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 is by far better than um, what people have, have there, mm -hmm. right? Because there is no training at all. There's nothing. There's nothing there. You go from Cameroon, Yaoundé, towards east, and you cross the Central African border, you go into a country like France, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a Central African is 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 
is a state that exists on paper. It's still, there's nothing developed. There's, it's like 200 years back almost. Mm -hmm. So it's not a third world country. It's not a fourth world country. For me, it's a fifth world country. But that's mm. very interesting medically because you see all the diseases, the infectious diseases in an untouched way. And you have everything there. You have um, malaria, HIV, AIDS, tuberculosis, hepatitis, lepra. I think the, one of the most inspiring uh, elements of living there was to see that infectious diseases have a big impact on the, on the psyche of people. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, and there is, an, an, uh, like malaria, you know, the, 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 it's, we have, I would say, a pretty superficial understanding still today of malaria because I have seen people suffering from malaria and, and, and you see them, these people, you see them in their social, social, cultural environment and you see what this person affected by malaria does actually in the bigger context, like in the family mm-hmm. and what triggers the malaria um, s- s- case is very often a conflict that's interesting. It's mm-hmm. or it can be a, a simple stress factor like a climate change. It can be a conflict, uh, and and the fever I think is is a, a, an excellent way of auto regulation, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 we do not understand uh, the importance of malaria in on individual evolution in the context of traditional societies. Mm-hmm. So Mike, it's it's from I that's a particularly interesting issue for me to see that you have a traditional society who sticks to who functions in certain ways with certain rules, and if you get out of these rules, you get easily in trouble as an individual. But what malaria does, it pushes the individual to a level where they get um, they can actually make a contribution to the evolution of traditional societies and and it's a very complex issues but there is evidence and observations which confirm this this idea so malaria is doing something on the like any disease basically it's not malaria not just malaria any disease can do that any suffering can do that that makes a contribution in the personal evolution of an individual and that's that was the inspiring part of malaria for me so suffering is all about take, do we take the challenge and the opportunity to move on or do we close down and say, I don't want to have it. And, and I think we don't do not, as far as I see, can see as, as far as I'm concerned, in science we do not understand epidemic or see or investigate epidemic disease from such a point of view. What's the evolutionary part of it? But there certainly is an aspect in there in epidemic disease. So very, very inspiring. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this book is basically about your experience regarding the treatment of malaria and regarding, apart from this, is there any um, scientific aspect or scientific, or it's also telling us about you, the research that you did 
apart from the experience or it's all about the cases that you have yeah the the, the research is has in 2005 6 has 7 has not been that structured we did some research at the national uh, hiv aids uh, center and center for sexual transmitted diseases but that was difficult to continue we were a team of four doctors one got killed two left and mm-hmm. so the team fell apart and uh, there is it's not so much about uh, the research i just wanted to tell more the stories because what touches me most i love this research part and all the inspiration i get from working in such environments but what is most touching is always the personal stories of the people and there are a lot of personal stories i could mm. i could learn from people what they went through incredible stories i think they're much more worth worth telling mm-hmm. like everybody has a story and i have heard heard the most incredible stories in africa where you say how is that possible how did they survive and and then, and and that's more in the book uh, great i try to is there any the book is there any specific date that when you're going to publish this book or no not yet the, the we have done about 80% and the, as i said i had the opportunity opportunity that somebody helped me and mm-hmm. and i i hope that we at least next year that okay. can be published okay thank you so much and it's great pleasure for having you again on the show and we will definitely will invite you again for our show and for our audience thank you for sharing the experience and everything thank, thank you thank have a nice you. time thank you yeah, thank you thank you